Hello everybody, this is James Banfield and this is my podcast series, Spirituality for Today. And just to remind you all, my mission is to bring the spiritual voice, the spiritual perspective more into the mainstream. And what I'm doing is I'm having conversations with interesting people about spirituality and the place that has in their lives. And today I'm in a beautiful spot in the middle of, well, for me it's the middle of nowhere, but it's, I think they call it the Flamse Ardenne. I'm in this beautiful farm. So if you hear some interesting noises in the background, that's the, 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 the wildlife here in the area. And I'm with a special person today and her name is Petra de Sutter. I don't think I need to tell you all who she is. She has a very important role in our country these days as a minister. And we're sitting out here in the sunshine, um, strictly COVID, COVID safe. <laughs> and Petra, it's great to be here with you. Thank you, James. I'm uh, happy that you found your way to come here in this kind of paradise-like place, as you said, and it's, um, it's very good to have this conversation with you. So, Petra, tell me when... Um, I usually start with this question, because it always interests me. When, when was the sort of first spiritual... Um, spiritual flicker or what was the, what's been the trigger for your spiritual life? Ah, uh, well, I have to go back to my ad adolescence, I must mm -hmm. say, because I was raised Catholic and so spirituality or at least religion mm -hmm. has been part of my uh, childhood until adolescence. And then I, I started to think about um, philosophy and religion when I was 15 and I've never stopped <laughs> thinking about it. Since then, I've read everything that exists, um, and I've never found uh, the answers to my questions. Um, I mean, I, I found all kinds of, you know, theories and, and constructs and frameworks that were man-made and that were, of course, uh, inspired um, by, by religious beliefs, but very often in a dogmatic way. And I've always um, had had questions about that because you know I'm I'm a scientist. I have a scientific background, and scientists want to understand, want to explain, want to have answers to questions that do not have answers. You know, so I struggled because I knew that there were questions where I could not find the answers, and I would call that, um, I would say, a kind of a spiritual right. uh, way of 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 living because. If you're a pure materialist, you, you find the answers to everything. You know, right. you, you very well know how reality is and how it works and so on. Um, I've always realized that I do not know, that there might be things that I don't understand that I do not know. Um, one of the books that inspired me when, uh, when I was about 19 or 20 is um, by Hofstadter, 
Gödel Escherbach. Maybe you know that book. If you don't, no, you have I to don't. read it. Okay. <clears throat> it it is on paradoxes and on 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 formal systems that that are imperfect. And Gödel is a mathematician that has really proven this. Right. If you have a formal system, you can never understand the system from within. You have to go out of the system, which in our life is not possible. So if we want to understand everything about our life, we should get out of it and have a look from outside. Yeah. So for me, that was a kind of a scientific um, confirmation that there is more to reality than we know, <clears throat> and you could call it spirituality. And finally, in, in all these years, I, I really discovered Buddhism in a certain, uh, at a certain point in life, about 15 years ago now. Or I must say, Buddhism discovered me because it was always there and I didn't mm. see it. But sometimes, mm. at a certain moment, when you're ready, yeah. it gets to you. And then I understood that I had to let go to find answers to questions that do not have answers. Mm. That's, in a way, for me, the answer to your question. Wow. That's great. That's a great story. Yeah, I have heard it's Gödel's theorem. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yes. Very similar. I mean, I also had... I was burning with questions when I was an adolescent. Mm -hmm. And quite often the the teachers they they couldn't you know, they couldn't really answer them and I don't blame them. But I was so hungry yeah. for for knowledge. And um, I even remember at, at Cambridge I was studying um, Greek philosophy, pre-Socratic Greek sort of philosophy. Heraclitus, one of my favorites. Okay. I don't know if you've come across him. Things like you can't step into the same river twice. Yes. And he's very kind of Taoist, really. And I went, I remember going up to the biggest professor in the whole of Cambridge on ancient philosophy at that time. And I said to him, kind of in a rather tense way, look, I don't think Heraclitus is, I don't think he's talking about science. I don't think he's, that's, I don't think that's what he's aiming for, what you're talking about. I think he's really suggesting how we need to live our lives, mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a deeply spiritual way. And he said, I mean, he was very honest, he said, oh, well, I'll leave that to you. I'm a historian. Okay. Yeah. Which is okay, but then I realized, yeah. you know, that was just a confirmation. I'm not going to get my, my, my answers, answers. No. there. Yeah. I see. And what, so tell me, you, would you then distinguish between spirituality and religion? Because it sounded a yes. bit like that, because I think that's yes. helpful for people and certainly for my yes. podcast but, series. But again, this is my perspective, my experience, and I don't, I don't claim uh, to, to, uh, to be right in this. I, I can only say how I have perceived it, having read a lot and, and having... Uh, trying to understand a lot about religion, religions or religious systems, I, I would call them, which of course have a link with spirituality and which of course are based on values which are universal and which I strongly adhere to. I mean, the universal values that are in every religion. But then I would call religion, religions or religious systems that what man has made of it. Mm. And, and, well, sometimes it gets wrong then. And then you can see 
a lot of bad things happening in the name of religion. Right. And so I, I understand we need to make the distinction between the religion in itself and what indeed is done in the name of religion. Right. Um, but for me, you know, religion is, of course, the, the framework that man has made around something which is impossible to grasp, to make it easier, simpler for many people to, to work with. Um, which is simply impossible and b by definition imperfect and thus leading to some bad things again because humans are humans we, we are make, sometimes make a mess of things right. especially when something becomes a large institution exactly. and then it's open to the same problems that all Large, whether it's Facebook or, or a religion, that that's and it's not a criticism. In in a, in a fact, it's an it's an apology. You could see it as try to understand these things that go wrong with religion have nothing to do with what it is really about. And so, um, and spirituality is of course the the thing that you want to grasp with religion or give a framework to with religion right. and 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 the, since there are many different religions already you can that was one of the first questions i asked how can it be that there is a god for the jews and a god for the catholics <laughs> and a god and allah for the for for islam and so on and and you know and and why don't don't we accept each other's god i mean there can only be one right yeah and um again the 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 big religions don't give really good answers to that question if they were honest they would have to say that of course we are all one and the same religion if we believe in one god because you have other systems where there's many gods as yeah. well and so how are you dealing with all that with hinduism where there is is there one god in Hindu, hinduism or is this is there many thousand gods which are all emanations of that right. one god and i mean you can it's you can feel that this is these are human constructs and not the, the, right. the real thing. Right, yes. Man making God in his own image, yeah. Exactly. And, yeah, well, certainly, you know, my experience is that, you know, there's a sort of mystical core at the, in the origin of all the religions, which is wonderful and beautiful, but, of course, that becomes... A whole that gets wound up in a whole elaborate social, mm -hmm. um, even political, economic structure, which sometimes loses that mystical core. And that's what's so important for me, and also in these conversations, that listeners and people can feel that there is a, a, a profound experiential. Yeah. Um, Aspect. It's it's something one feels. You know, it, one could call it relationship to God or, or whatever we, we want to call it, but there's something, you know, that you can really wake up with. It's mystical. It's mystical and it's and, and that sounds for a lot of people, you know, especially for scientific materialists. <laughs> sort of zweverich, you yeah. know, it's one of the favorite words. Esoteric, yeah. Esoteric, and yet for me, it's it's the absolute opposite. It's it's something I feel in in my body, mm -hmm. all, all around me, and so yeah. on. And this is what, what was, for me, eye-opening, um, how do you say that, the Damascus Road experience yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Buddhism. Right. 
that is that, of course, you can read everything you want about it and try to understand it on an intellectual level, but um, meditation lets you experience mm. uh, what it is, uh, what what it is really. And interestingly, in in some religions, we've completely lost that. You know, in in Christianity, there was a time where there was also mystical experiences and so on. And I'm not sure how I, I have to interpret them or if we have to go back to them. Um, but but some forms of praying are, of course, very similar to meditation. Yeah. And I've never learned that. As a child, you know, it was all very technical and very mm. instrumental. Mm. And uh, you do as I say because I say, you, you know, this is yes. how we learned right. and experienced religion. And that's why it didn't work. And, and we lost it. Right. Or it, it worked to create a certain social cohesion yeah, yeah. but that's not but really not the, the inner experience no, because if right. you speak about spirituality then what whatever your religious framework teaches you it should be able to bring you in touch with that inner spirituality right and again I, i'm i'm not sure that catholicism today uh, at least in western countries is successful at doing that i'm at, at least it was not when i was uh, young um, and in buddhism it it by learning to how to meditate mm. i discovered the the strength of of getting into your own mind and observing your own mind um, in in a way it's a technique but it works and it's life-changing. It's, it's right. really changing totally. you as a person. I, I, I agree. And and do you have a... I mean, you're an incredibly busy person mm. these days. Is there... Do you still manage some kind of meditation routine, ritual? Well, <laughs> let me start with that story of this uh, disciple that asks to the monk... Uh, he says, well, I should meditate half an hour every day and I don't find the time. What should I do? And then the monk says, well, you should meditate one hour a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a very good one. And I always think about it. If if I'm about to say I don't have time for something, of course you have. It's a matter of choices. Um, but, well, yes, I'm busy. It's extremely difficult. I try to meditate uh, during stolen time. Mm. That means um, now we are... Of course, with COVID, not traveling, not going anywhere. But in normal, of pre-COVID times, you used you used to travel. You have to wait uh, for a plane, or you are on the train, or whatever. And th these are stolen moments, moments where you cannot really work because we're working all the time. You you, you um, in hotel rooms. Right. That that was uh, in the last years my my yeah my preferred. A place to meditate because uh, uh, you know it, it yeah today um, sometimes during holidays and weekends I meditate I would say that my practice has changed me in a way that I can find moments and places to meditate uh, all day long in between meetings, you can close your eyes for five minutes and I get know, it. Just, just like that, yeah. in fact. Yeah. If, you're, if one's really open and is prepared exactly. to just let go of whatever is going on, any time. It's interesting, I like the idea of in the stolen time. 
I don't it's call it lost time. Lost. I call it it's given time. It's right. stolen time. I read a lovely quote the other day there because there are many actually Christian mystics. One of them's called Julian of of Norwich. Okay. In England, and he I just read it the other day. He said, "God is always there in the gaps." Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful idea in yes. the gaps, like you're waiting in the line exactly. at the call route or something. God is there in the gaps, between breaths, between the notes of the music. Yeah, and uh, that's what it reminds that's a me of. Yeah. yeah, and and of course you need training to achieve. I think. The possibility to do that, but meditating can be during a walk, or um, you know, sitting on a chair, sure. or or you know, enjoying nature. I mean, all these moments are are great opportunities to to meditate. I think. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Japan. Well, I hope I didn't tell this story in the last podcast. <laughs> I don't think so. And I, I had an extraordinary experience in a Zen garden. I was into Zen Buddhism because mm-hmm. I was in Kyoto, which is the home yeah. of one of the one one of the Zen sects. And um, I had this incredible, ex- you know, huge revelationary experience in this Zen garden. And I remember telling this Zen Buddhist about it. And he looked at me and he listened and he said, that is an amazing experience. But you could have had it on the toilet, you know. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great, it's very Zen. <laughs> it's very yes. down to earth. <laughs> prick, prick any bubbles you might. But, but, but that's it, true. It, it's, this is so great about Zen indeed. It puts you yeah. with the feet on the ground and, and yeah. you do, it's not about esotherism or, or seeing colors or hearing voices when you meditate. Right. It is. It is not. Yeah. Although it also, you know, when we're talking about spirituality and religion, you know, I, I you know, Buddhism is sometimes seen as exceptional and different from the other religions, but Zen Buddhism has also fallen into a lot of problematic areas mm-hmm. as well. It's not Buddhism is not immune from some no. of the institutional, patriarchal I know. I know. things that you know but, humans. But then can you get have into. to realize that this happens in countries where Buddhism is a religion. You know, right? That's exactly. why if people ask me, "Oh, you're a Buddhist." That means you believe in reincarnation and you believe in karma and you do this and you believe in that. And I said, no, this, this is the religious part of it, mm. which uh, I, I respect and I have nothing to say about that. Um, for me, it's the inner experience mm. and the, the, the truths or the wisdoms behind it, the philosophy, of course, right. that, that really uh, makes a difference and makes me, I, I hope, a better person. Um, and I don't have a problem with, with rituals, you know. Sometimes mm. people need rituals. Sure. Uh, they need uh, the sangha, the social uh, yeah. aspect of, of being together, part of one bigger story. Mm. Um, and, and they need rules, dharma, you know. They need, yeah. they need that, uh, specifically if they, if they live together in, in, in a sangha. Yeah. Uh, and so the rituals are very useful. But... Uh, I'm talking about something different. Mm. Yeah, and I can understand that people are attracted to Buddhism because of the rituals. Mm. That's something else. I'm not attracted to Buddhism because of the rituals. I'm attracted to, the, to what it did to my mind 
and the insights that it, it gave me. For instance, if you meditate, I think this is really, it's always essential to, to tell people that I learned to dissociate my consciousness or myself or my non-self <laughs> we don't have to go too far, but uh, from my thoughts and my emotions. Mm. This is crucial, and I think this is something everybody should learn. Because if, if you meditate, you can see your thoughts, your emotions, like you know clouds passing by in the sky. This is right. the image, right? Yes. And you're not obliged to run after them and, and to follow them. It's not because you have an emotion that it should take over. Right. who you are and right. what you do you can let it go or a thought that comes up we think that is our consciousness it's not mm. it's some brain activity that sparks spontaneously at that moment it's not more than that so it is actually a very scientific way of looking at things as well it's right. there's nothing esoteric or right. unscientific in talking about or explaining meditation well, especially if one acknowledges that, I mean, if we're going to use the scientific perspective, that internal phenomena, one can also be empirical about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that oh, yeah. is a source of data. Exactly. And it's a sort of data that, you know, thousands of monks over the years have also explored. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a real body of well-researched yeah data exactly in buddhism and all of the meditation techniques mm -hmm. that has been documented that is yeah. it's not some you know <laughs> just no, no. sort of flip of the imagination or something exactly and you know that uh, in in buddhism and the dalai lama is active on that as well there's a lot of neuropsychological research yeah, going sure, on sure so he's looking at brain activity during meditation right, and right. you really see the change it really it's not imagined no, Im imagined no. it's really something no, that no, happens no no that's right that's right of course there's a whole area we won't go into it mm -hmm. of course the, the the scientific materialists then say well it's all it's all a product of the brain, which is not necessarily the case, but clearly mm. something is going on mm -hmm. in the, in the mm -hmm. brain the whole time with, with meditation. And I'm sure people who are listening would be fascinated. So in your, in your job, you have a very particular job these mm -hmm. days. Yes. <laughs> it changes all the time, my job, since <laughs> yes. I went into politics. But now, uh, That's now it's right. quite different. How, how, does it, how does the spirituality show up in your work? And how, does it, how do you experience it there? Oh, it, it, it really helps me, I think, um, because... I try to, you know, I'm, I'm, as a politician, first of all, uh, you have to negotiate a lot. You have to fight for your ideas, but mm -hmm. try to uh, realize them through compromises with others that have other ideas. This is the whole game of, of, of politics. And it helps if you can understand how other people think and feel about certain things. Mm. Usually we, we start um, saying, 
you know, I'm right about something and this person is wrong. Right. And now I'm going to fight or use all kinds of tricks and techniques to convince or to f simply negotiate or fight so that I win. Um, I think it's much more um, constructive, I would say, and positive to try to understand first why this person has this ideology, this idea, this experience, this mm. way of looking at things. Um, because every one of us ha has uh, a personal past, um, something that happens in your life, so that you start thinking about certain things in a certain way. You are not born um, a neoliberal or a communist or an extreme right person or uh, whatever, or yeah. a Christ Christian democrat. You're not born like that. Mm. You're, you become, mm. because of your education, the privileges that you have or you don't have, the, 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 your surroundings, environment, and personal experiences. That brings you, at a certain point in life, with a certain ideology, with a certain view on, on the world, on, on, on people. And I think it helps if, in negotiating, um, or, you know, fighting, you know, you can call it li like you want, you, you understand why this other person thinks differently. And if you can do that, and you can go back to what happened and why and so on, you can, I'm sure, reach a level of mutual understanding of where you say, actually, we all want the same thing. We want happiness. We want. We have fears. We have hopes. We are humans with the same aspirations. And let's start from there. Instead of focusing on the differences, focus on the similarities. And you could say, well, is that the answer to, to your question? I think it is, because it is. Buddhism helps yeah. you a lot. And through meditative, meditative exercise, to project, you know, positive emotions onto other people. There's a lot of exercises like that in, in Buddhist meditation or in all kinds of meditation, I'm sure. No, I think, I think in, if you really unpacked what... It sounds so simple, what you said, but underneath that is a really profound what I would call spiritual perspective mm -hmm. because in a way you, you in the first start you've got to be open to another person's you, you've even mm -hmm. got to be curious in another person's mm -hmm. point of view you, you've got to be able to give a place to it yeah. instead of wanting to get rid of something that is in disagreement with us mm -hmm. which is so even when someone's angry or you know angrily defending something or defending a view, I always think the most interesting question is when someone's angry, it's usually, what are you trying to fiercely protect right now? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because we just, of course, hear the anger or the attack, it's poorly expressed, it's, it's muddled, but underneath, always somebody's trying to protect something fiercely. Or what has happened to you yeah. that you have started thinking or, like that. Ex exactly. So, yes, in, in Buddhism, in, in meditation, you can meditate on, on positive feelings, on love, on friendship. Mm. And I specifically like the exercise where you start by thinking about and projecting positive emotions to people that you love. It's very simple, it's easy. Your partner, your parents, your children, whatever. That's not difficult. And then you broaden that circle and you go to friends and 
acquaintances, people that you like but you don't know very well. Mm. The, the tricky thing is to do that with people that you hate or that hate you or you think they hate you or you don't like them at all. You have aversion, your enemies or whatever you want to call them. Um, these are very bad names, I know, but, <laughs> you know, try to do that. People that have hurt you, that have damaged you, try to project positive emotions to these people. Right. Or, you know, another favorite of my exercises is you're in the train. What happens in the good old days when a lot of people were in the train sitting across you? You observe people and usually we don't do that. We don't look at other people. Everybody reads his yeah. iPhone and that's it. And of course, definitely you don't talk to each other. But the exercise is by looking at people and trying to think about what kind of life they would have. Do they have a family? This guy, he, he looks unhappy. Maybe he had a fight with his wife when he left this morning. And you can construct whole stories about other people. By doing that, that person becomes not an you know, anonymous uh, stranger. He becomes a friend of yours because you have in your head established a relationship with that person. Right. And that's very helpful. That's lovely. Yeah. I like, yes, I like that. I like that. It reminds me there was a there's a famous he died recently actually. Have you ever come across a spiritual teacher, Ram Ram Das? No. Richard Alpert? No. Originally a Harvard professor in the in the sixties. He invented the expression here and now. Mm-hmm back in the 60s. Okay. You know, he was one of the pioneers. I he thought it was Buddha who Indian, <laughs> Indian, well, the English version anyway. Okay. And um, incredible person. Um, also in the early days worked with, with psychedelics, you know, mm. with LSD and all that kind of thing, but totally into meditation, mm. lived in an ashram, but was also really into social work and, and mm. helping people. Mm. Brilliant person, Richard Alpert, Ramdas. And he used to purposely, at that time when I went to hear him, in Kyoto in Japan actually, some 25 years ago, there was one politician that he really loathed. Mm-hmm. You know, I dare mm-hmm. say even you have possibly <laughs> <laughs> known a politician that kind of really gets to you. You know, as soon as they open their mouth, mm-hmm. there's something, it doesn't have to be a politician, of course. And he would purposely have a photo of this politician on the main mantelpiece in his living room because it was a constant reminder, like a reality check. Where where are you in your consciousness right now? Can you give a place to to this person? I think it's a great idea. Yeah, but it's exceptional. eh? How many people are able to do that? I know, I know. I know. But uh, yeah, no, these these exercises are very valuable. I remember when Claire, my wife and I, had an argue argument. Mm. Um, we we used to thank each other. Oh, that's. I say thank you for giving me this great opportunity to practice some of our Buddhist principles, which of course always stopped the argument <laughs> right away <laughs> because we understood how ridiculous it was to have an argument <laughs> about whatever. Right. Um, right. But it is it is uh, having a, sometimes. A, a difficult time or, or a difficult relationship and so on can be great opportunities for learning and for 
growing. Um, I think it's one of the best relationship. I've said it in one of my early podcasts. I mean, mm-hmm. relationship like with my wife mm-hmm. and previous partners. That 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 has been as big a teacher for me as mm-hmm. any Buddha. Oh yeah, because it's that in the nitty gritty of life. Yeah. And relationship, and you know, and oh, in the kitchen, and it's exactly, um, yeah. No, I think that's really important. I mean, one thing I, f- I feel that I'm learning myself. I mean, it's implicit in what we've been talking about, and I would imagine so important in politics is how, because we're not trying to iron out difference. You know, difference no. is important. Without no, difference, there won't be evolution yeah. and there'd be no diversity. So we're not trying to plaster it over mm-hmm. with a sort of sweet, peaceful coating. Mm-hmm. But how can we stand in difference? Like, okay, you have a different mm-hmm. opinion for me than me, but I'm still staying in contact with you. Mm-hmm. I see you. As a person. Yeah, as a person mm-hmm. who has just as strong a subjective reality yeah. as that, who's not an object, but is just another subject. And without slamming the door, mm-hmm. shouting, trying to get rid of you because you represent something that's different and threatening to me, how can I be in the difference but stay in contact? Yeah, it's it, that's the question of the 21st century and of social media, I think. Because we tend to dehumanize yeah. um, people with different opinions um, and reducing them to their opinion. And forgetting that right. they are human beings, again, with the same aspirations, hopes and fears that all of us have and the wish for happiness, that probably it, for 99% of things in life share the same opinions and thoughts with us but uh, in that one particular thing they feel that there is too many migrants and that's threatening and uh, for the rest probably in many many other instances they share the same values but that issue migration is um, is where we differ uh, of opinion and then this gets so big that there's only that uh, that that remains. You know, this person, um, you know, gets a label, and and st- stops being a person right. in in the discussion on social media. It happens all the time because this is so anonymous. It's very easy uh, to to forget that all these trolls sending tweets that they're they're oh, human beings. Uh, I mean, you know, it's absolutely it's it's horrendous. Yeah. And it, and it's there's it's, for me there's just a deep cowardice mm-hmm. in it because the, nearly always they'd never dare if the person is in but front of them but then again why is that and how can we reach exactly. beyond and with, with twitter on anonymous accounts it's, it's impossible sure. but if you would meet these people i'm sure you could have valuable conversations exactly we can objectify trolls as well <laughs> yeah. i've done i've done that in the in in the beginning when i started in politics and i was attacked on twitter not by anonymous accounts, mm. but by real people, and they attacked me. Um, I invited them for a coffee. Wow. I've done that several times. Wow. And, uh, of course, I don't change the opinion of these people, 
But by reaching out and by having a, a, a conversation, you realize that exactly what I said. You disagree on one issue, but you agree on 99 right. other right. issues out of 100. And that it brought a change because in that way, these same people... They behave differently on Twitter afterwards. And that's that's what you're talking about, is there's a whole philosophy that's called contact theory. Mm -hmm. Is that with the, the, the people one demonizes or yeah. wants to get rid of, when one actually comes into contact with them, it nearly always dissolves. Oh, yes. And and that's what you exactly. do. You simply invited contact. No, I, I But I, I must say that. now there is about I don't know, so many a day. <laughs> I, oh, really? don't, I don't have the opportunity and the time to have coffees no. with all of these people. No. But but in my mind, I would still uh, do it. And, and that's why I, I will rarely, I will never um, get into disputes on Twitter and, right. and start fighting myself because it, it, uh, it has no sense to do that. Right. No, I like it when you talk about Thema. I was just, there's someone I was, I was reading a book the other day by a Zen Buddhist American Zen Buddhist Diane Hamilton, and she's written this wonderful book just recently called Com Compassionate Conversations. And she's somebody who works with, gives a lot of workshops around diversity and has been doing it for years. And as you know, in America, it's a very delicate subject. Mm -hmm. So she's always working with African Americans, Native Americans, white Americans. And it's a very simple little tip. She says at the beginning of every conversation, we talk about all we have in common, then we go into difference, and at the end we come back to what do we have in common. Mm -hmm. It's such an easy tip. Yeah, right? it's a good Because it's an yeah. explosive area, as, as we all know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Mamie, I feel like. Um, as I, as I told you before, Petra, each person I have a conversation with has a chance to transmit something of their spiritual passion or... Yes, well, um, <laughs> it, it was not an easy task because I've been really looking for a good fragment. Um, and. I found one in a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, the Vietnamese yeah. famous uh, Buddhist monk, and he wrote a book, Old Path, White Clouds, Walking in the Footsteps of the Buddha. And it's actually the life of Buddha and all his teachings rewritten by, by this, uh, this, this uh, famous monk. And one passage uh, I chose for today is when Buddha meets with uh, Kasapa. Kasapa is a Brahma um, teacher who's intrigued by Buddha and he starts to learn him and finally will be become a disciple of the Buddha. So if you uh, allow me, I will Great. I will read it. So everyone can relax and just listen to Petra's melodious voice. <laughs> Thank you. One afternoon, while the Buddha and Kasapa stood along the banks of the Niranjara river, Kasapa said, Gotama, the other day you spoke about the meditation on one's body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations and consciousness. I have been practicing that meditation and 
I have begun to understand how one's feelings and perceptions determine the quality of one's life. I also see that there is no permanent element to be found in any of the five rivers. I can even see that the belief in a separate self is false. But I still don't understand why one should follow a spiritual path if there is no self. Who is there to be liberated? Now the Buddha asked Kasapa, do you accept that suffering is a truth? Yes, Gautama, I accept that suffering is a truth. Do you agree that suffering has causes? Yes, I accept that suffering has causes. Kasapa, when the causes of suffering are present, suffering is present. When the causes of suffering are removed, suffering is also removed. Yes, I see that when the causes of suffering are removed, suffering itself is removed. Well, the cause of suffering is ignorance, a false way of looking at reality. Thinking the impermanent is permanent, that is ignorance. Thinking there is a self when there is not, that is ignorance. And from ignorance is born greed, anger, fear, jealousy and countless other sufferings. The path of liberation is the path of looking deeply at things in order to truly realize the nature of impermanence, the absence of a separate self and the interdependence of all things. This path is the path which overcomes ignorance. And once ignorance is overcome, suffering is transcended. That is true liberation. There is no need for a self for there to be liberation. Kasapa sat silently for a moment and then he said, Gotama, I know you speak only from your own direct experience. Your words do not simply express concepts. You have said that liberation can only be attained through the efforts of meditation, by looking deeply at things. Do you think that all ceremonies, rituals and prayers are useless? The Buddha pointed to the other side of the river and he said, Kasapa, if a person wants to cross to the other shore, what should he do? Well, if the water is shallow enough, he can wade across. Otherwise, he will have to swim or row a boat across. I agree. But what if he's unwilling to wade, swim or row a boat? What if he just stands on this side of the river and prays to the other shore to come to him? What would you think of such a man? I would say he was being quite foolish. Just so, Kasapa. If one doesn't overcome ignorance and mental obstructions, one cannot cross to the other side to liberation even if one spends one whole life praying. Wow, that's lovely. Thank you. There is so much in that fragment. I know, God, you got the whole of Buddhism in that, really. Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it. what I... what I usually do is also distinguish between pain and suffering because mm -hmm. pain is pretty much impossible to avoid mm -hmm. 
you know, painful things happen mm. physically, emotionally. Um, but suffering, the suffering is the part that comes from ignorance, mm -hmm. I think. That's, you know, one of the things I always say is that suffering is pain plus resistance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's what he's pointing to because, of course, I don't, I don't really believe that a, even a Buddha would probably feel pain in some. Yes, in some. If he talks about suffering, he talks right. about uh, the suffering that that arises from um, craving, from aspiring exactly. things that you will never have. Yeah. I mean, the the circle of having the new iPhone and knowing there is a new one coming and then you need it and you want right. it, I mean, and that creates suffering. And the only way to, to stop that circle is, is to understand that you don't need that new iPhone and that you can let go of this craving. So I, 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 I agree that pain and suffering are different. And also longing or, or desiring something is not necessarily bad, but it, it really overtakes all the rest and, right. Right. you know, makes you unhappy. Yeah. That's the suffering. Sure, that's it's our relationship to, to desire and longing. No, yeah. longing in a way is lovely. In fact, yeah, without of course. the spiritual longing, yeah, exactly. we would, he would probably have never no. ended up having the conversation <laughs> with Buddha. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. On the subject of that, there's a, love, a story that's always moved me a lot, a Zen Buddhist story, where the, the master, the big master has just died. Mm -hmm. And he appointed... The, the next mm -hmm. master and they have the funeral or whatever it is and, and the new master is is just crying and so the the young disciple comes comes up and he says how can you how can you be crying I mean you know you know about impermanence mm -hmm. um, you know there's no real death da -da 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 -da. and he said yes. I know all that, and the tears just come. Yeah. And that's such a lovely yeah. response. It's like, I am human. Of course, there, there are tears, but it doesn't mean I'm over-attached to them or I build a big story around them. That, for me, is the really, yeah. if you like, enlightened response. Not that, oh, I don't ever feel pain or, or want to cry or anything. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Yeah. Are there any times when um, you feel you don't sort of live up to your spiritual aspirations? Oh yeah, all the time, uh, all the time. Honestly, really? I I feel that this is doing so much good to my. Now I'm talking for myself. Yes. To to be a better person and to to be in balance and to be happy and. Um, yeah, when days passed by and I run the rat race like everyone else mm. and um, just like reading this fragment, I say, well, I have to read that book again somewhere in the forest or, or in, in nature and take time for that because it's so healing, it's so positive and, and, um, and I don't have the time to do that again. It's a matter of choices. I could cancel all my appointments for the rest of the day and just say, let's continue this exercise. I would love to do that, but I can't. Um, on the other hand, um, I have learned to 
to be mild also for myself. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yes, I should do this and I could do that and I should meditate at least an hour a day and so on. And I don't. And it makes me feel uh, bad. But, you know, I'm a human well, and being that- and this is it. And I, I look into the mirror and say, I, I do the best I can. Sure. It's, it's okay. And, right. and so, yeah. And that voice... You know, I would even say that voice is, come on, you're not doing it well, you should meditate more. That is very much the voice of the separate self. Exactly. <laughs> so not really worth listening no. to. No, no. Um, no, and you know, if you meditate, and I always say that to people that start to meditate or they want to start and they say, well, I cannot concentrate for 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I said, that's great. If you do a 10 minutes, 10, 10 minute meditation, you know, you know how to do it, huh? your, 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 your breaths, uh, controlling your breath or counting or whatever. And if you really can focus for 10 seconds in these 10 minutes, you are a very successful meditator. You did a great job. Don't worry. And if it's 9 seconds, you're not a bad person. Try again. Next time you will I do know. it for 15 seconds. Yeah. I sometimes say when I give my daily meditations online, I sometimes say at the beginning, Right, just to satisfy this part of yourselves, you've all already got 10 out of 10 for the meditation. Yes, exactly. Just relax. That's good. You've done it. Yeah. Because we're, we're so used to that. To perform. Inner critical voice yeah. that, that, you know, it's, it's very difficult to disengage that. Even at quite advanced stages of meditation, I, I would say, mm-hmm. especially one has, when one has had profound mystical experiences mm-hmm. in meditation mm-hmm. where all is one and blissful and da 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 one can't help but next time you meditate sort of think oh I hope that happens again yeah, yeah. and it hasn't happened again so I, I must be doing it wrong no I, and I think that's the advantage of I think I've only really learned that also through having quite long meditation sessions mm-hmm. where like if you sit for 10 days which of course is an untold of luxury in in your position but I have done that a couple of times in my life and I I hope to do it again you know so much happens on the way by the third or fourth day you don't care Mm -hmm. you don't care whether your mind's busy you don't care whether you've got itches in your legs Mm -hmm. you're just so used to to being with what is that's great uh, that's something one day I, um, I would like to do that 10 days meditation or you know what what we did Claire and I uh, a couple of years ago we went to Compostela ah, which lovely. is um, you could call it a very long walking meditation uh, thing yeah and well, we did it for only uh, two weeks uh, starting in Leon in Spain and we did the last 320 kilometers and in the beginning you start you talk all the time mm. after two days <laughs> no more talking it's pure right. Meditation from the beginning to oh, the end. Beautiful. Well, one of we mentioned it before we started today. You know, the the CEO council with whom I work, mm-hmm. which Walter Torfson. Yeah. So one of the members is called Joost Cullens. He's the CEO of uh, Durabrick, a, a company that we've worked with a lot, mm. and he did a three month oh. sabbatical on the Compostela, and he wrote a book about it. Okay. And he has I great, read that. great stories. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yours. I'll, I'll, I'll send you to the, the And link. so people ask yeah. me, okay, well, isn't that a religious thing? 
I couldn't care less. Is it religious? <laughs> is it spiritual? Is it meditating? Is it uh, anyhow? You you encounter yourself all the time when you're right. walking 30 kilometers a day. Well, and sure, and it's a, it's a pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage. Yeah. It's it was. Yeah, I would love to do it again. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. And um, I mean, the other thing that occurred to me. Because when, when we were talking to the other day and you said that, you know, you'd been working, you'd have a, had a cabinet meeting till 12 o'clock at night, mm. which I'm sure happens quite mm. regularly. You know, I realized that in your job, you, you really have to surrender to something. Huh? I mean, you... And I mean, surrender has a very important spiritual background. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. surrender to a guru. I mean, that's a whole other yeah. topic. But you really have to surrender to the job, huh? I mean, there's a totality oh, yeah. that it demands, which I would... You see, I, that has a spiritual quality for me, mm -hmm. that, that level of service. That's an interesting question, because people often ask why, why you want to do that job, why you, would you want to be a minister? Um, and I always say that for me minister as a latin word mm. meaning servant right has uh, has really that meet meaning you are the servant of the community of the people and i take that very seriously it's not for the power or other uh, privileges it's a very hard job and it's a it's a kind of um grouping um What do you say? That in, how do you a say calling. A calling, exactly. It's, yeah, I, I really think it is. And, and if it's not, it should be. Um, I, I really hope sure. that for most uh, people it is. And then it is 24-7. It never leaves you alone. Uh, anytime something can, can happen and, and you're in the cockpit flying the country. So you cannot say, okay, uh, I, will, I will just take, take a break for some time. You have periods like when there's holidays mm. when it's a little less mm. less uh, intense but otherwise it's very intense it's really 24/7 yeah I, c i can imagine no i like the idea i mean when i've lived in spiritual communities that kind of totality we we when i lived in this we we worked seven days a week yeah. i mean not as hard as you mm -hmm. but that was part yeah. of the spiritual process yeah, I, I, I can see the similarity or, or yeah. Mm, yeah no that's and you you mentioned before how much you enjoy it what, what yeah why do you think you enjoy it so much well it gives me so much um, gratification so much positive energy that's why you you are able to continue all the time because you make you really make a difference for people the, I mean if you take decisions that that affect the lives of people in a positive way sometimes we have to take decisions that are not so nice like in the Covid crisis now you have to restrain liberties and freedoms and yeah. that's not nice but, but very often you take decisions that make a difference in the lives of people mm -hmm. that gives you a very good feeling and that keeps you going so right. um, Yeah, I like my job. <laughs> yes, no, I, that, that's really, that's music to my ears. Yes. You know, because 
politicians can sometimes have a, a rather haunted, hunted, mm. haunted or hunted air about them because of all the, the responsibilities. But you yeah. always, I mean, this meditation must make a difference. It makes a difference. whenever I see you, you always seem calm. <laughs> Well, it it uh, I found the balance because I'm not that calm in in early. I have some what, what do you call it ADHD. Uh, oh really? <laughs> oh yes, I have. As a child, I was uh, attention deficiency. Wow, that does not come across. Well, and hyperkinetic. My mind never rests. Really? I've, I'm. It's always active. I'm always thinking, busy. Um, even in my free time, I read. I'm interested in in all kinds of things that you know normal people don't think are interesting <laughs> yes no uh, me too me too i can read a book on mushrooms and find <laughs> the, the 200 different kinds of mushrooms that are in the forest although i have nothing with mushrooms and i'm not a botanist or a biologist but i think it's interesting to read about mushrooms can you imagine <laughs> but this isn't it great that curiosity that's yeah. you know that that's i have that that's being alive and and interacting with our yeah. environment yeah. yeah i always remember it reminds me of um I was. Did you read that Yuval Harari book, yeah, yeah. Homo Sapiens? You know, it's really. I've, I've read all of them. <laughs> I bet you have. Interesting guy and a big meditator. Okay. Two, two hours a day. I did know that. Yeah. Doesn't and doesn't. He's have, one of the greatest minds of our times. I, I think. Th I think. I think so too. But he was saying how, of course, the, you know, the whole European empire building has got a very bad name these days and for good reasons it has a bad name mm -hmm. you know all the imperialism colonialization and we don't need to go belgium and british history what i come up you know mm -hmm. we have our our uh, horrors that have happened but he says what often forgets gets forgotten on these expeditions is that sometimes they would take up to sort of 50 um scientists with them mm -hmm on these trips, you know, that's how Charles Darwin, yeah, Darwin. who all they wanted to do is, is study these, the animals and, yeah. and even the people. It yeah. wasn't all about domination. Yeah. Terrible things happened. They wanted to study the cultures and the gathering all this data yeah. and reports and this, you know, that side often gets lost. They mm -hmm. think it's just mm -hmm. about imposing the religion, but there was an intense curiosity mm that got triggered in that whole yeah. scientific revolution and, and, and the Western Enlightenment mm -hmm. and so on, which, you know, that's what I feel a bit. And of course, you're a yeah. scientist, you're a doctor. I, I always want to have answers. Right. <laughs> to new questions. Right. And the more answers you get, each new answer gives you three more questions, you know. This is how science progresses. This is how the whole scientific me method works, so that's, that's okay. Another nice quote, maybe it's a good place to, to, to end, is what I heard the other day is the more our island of knowledge gets bigger, the longer the coast of unknowing. Oh, that's a nice one, yes. Isn't that nice? I yeah, that. because we, we uh, even scientifically, we understand that there's a lot that we don't know. That we can't even explain. I mean, if you go into quantum mechanics, sure, or dark matter, or, or all these it things. Is. Yeah. I mean, some of our theories do not work. So there must be, you know, things that we don't understand yet, and that science hasn't explained 
which uh, brings us back to the beginning of our conversation, I think. Ex exactly. It is, it is very logical because we are in a system which we cannot fully understand. And in a formal system, there are paradoxes. Language is one, you know. If I tell you the, the old paradox from Crete, uh, I'm a liar. Am I? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. what I mean? Yes, that's right. So this is because language is a formal system with, with some axiomas and some rules. And by that, it has a paradox or lots of paradoxes in itself and loops and whatever. This is what Hofstetter was writing about. Right. And you cannot see that un until you, you get out of that system and you look right. to right. it. You can do that with mathematics. We can do that with language. But... With the big life questions, we cannot because we cannot get out of that. Right, that's right. And and honoring the the mystery. Absolutely. Honoring them. For oh, yeah. me, meditation is a way always of refreshing the mystery. Oh yeah. Because it's, nice. it's always new and or it should be like it, you you need that sort of Zen beginner's mind every meditation yeah. in a way. And, it, and there's so much mystery in it and I and I love that I heard mm -hmm. um, maybe that's the last nice thing for the listeners that someone was saying the other day that there's a the eye of the flesh the eye of the mind and the eye of the spirit mm -hmm. and the eye of the flesh is actually the senses mm -hmm. so that's traditional empirical science because mm -hmm. all of the yeah. even if it's a telescope it's still the senses yeah. or an x-ray Mm. It's interpreted. That's one level of truth mm. and exploration. Then there's the eye of the mind, which is the more abstract. So, mathematics, mm -hmm. you you can't you can't see it with the senses. Mm -hmm. It's it's it is on logic, language, language yeah. exactly. That is a that's the eye of the mind, which is important. And then there's the eye of the spirit, art. Arts and and spirituality and and so on and we need all these three eyes yes. and the trouble starts is when we reduce it to one of them. Mm. Yeah. Well, Petra, it's been really lovely yes. to sit with you here with your on your own territory yeah. and. Uh, listening to the chickens i hope the listeners have caught a bit of farm life here yeah and sitting in the sun even if it's still cold the sun is really exactly exactly and i so nice. really the last thing i would like to say is that i you know talking to you it really gives me i don't know faith in in politics <laughs> in politicians because Thank you, i James. if you can carry this spirit into your work and God try to go on like must this. make the world a better place. Thank you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.